Welcome. You're listening to the Bible Marathon Project, your one-stop class for learning Bible interpretation, defending your faith, using spiritual gifts, and building consistency in your devotion with God. We hope these sessions are a blessing to you as they have been to us. And without further ado, we say welcome to Vulnerability Sunday. Okay, guys, let's quickly jump into our topic for today. Ernest, please, can you put up that slide again? I beg, please, can someone help me pronounce that thing? I don't know how to pronounce it. Nope, sure. Uh, nuptial. I don't even know. Can we? Can someone ask Google or Siri? I think, I think it's nuptial ties. I'm coming. Let me pick it up. I always it nuptial. Ah, uh, let's find out today, guys. It should be nuptial. Let's realize this should be nuptial. Uh, need some grammarians here. Who's helping? <laughs> I think it's nuptial. It's she. This this is the person that got hundred <laughs> in um. You know this transcription in secondary school? There's people like she. <laughs> well, um, basically, all we're going to do here today is just talking about, permit me to use the word A to Z of marriage. There's actually anything like the A to Z of marriage. And this is where I'm actually going to start from. Um, permit me to say that no two marriages are actually the same. And I would have my reasons why. Well, why I'm saying this is no two people are the same. No matter how you could be twins, triplets, grown up in the same environment, you actually would find out that everybody responds to various experiences differently. Um, same experience, different responses. And the interesting thing about marriage is each individual with their own individual differences, um, their own individual experiences, with their own individual choices that they've actually made, come together and try to build a home or build a family. And then what you have is two people who are also trying to understand each other. And because we know that no two human beings are the same, we also would know that no two marriages would ever be the same or ever be alike. So I'm usually very wary when people will tell me things like, um, you know, these are the seven keys to having successful marriage. <sighs> or these are the three main focal points to a blissful marriage. For 26 years, we've been married and no quarrel. Uh-uh, Oga, and uh, you will not be looking at me and in my mind. And you know, sometimes what this actually does for us, to be very sincere, is it puts us in a kind of like a box where we have like this kind of views of how marriage should actually look like or how marriage should actually be that is not necessarily founded on scriptures. Um, and then the moment it seems like we are not behaving in that particular pattern or behaving in that particular way, we just assume that, okay, you know what? We're not doing what we're meant to be doing. But I'll put it like this to you. No two marriages are ever going to be the same. You guys, we have your own various experiences and all that. But please be wary of people that say seven key things to do to have a blissful year of marriage. We have not had any suffering, blah, 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 all those kind of stuff. 
But even as we know no two marriages are ever going to be the same, we know that there are basic foundations for every marriage, right? So you have it at the back of your mind that in as much as whoever my spouse is going to be, we are going to set our own rules. We are going to do certain things differently. And if you've seen when all these maybe marriage counselors, things that they've observed over years in maybe a couple of marriages and stuff like that, and then they bring out books and stuff like that. But at the back of your mind, know that, okay, there are basics. There are certain foundations. And that is what we are going to majorly focus on today. We are going to be looking at what marriage actually isn't. I think there was a time um, when Ernest was talking and then he mentioned there was a particular topic I can't remember. And it was like, he's going to start from what it isn't. And then from there, we are gradually going to build to what are the basic foundations. Um, it's the same thing we are going to do here. We are going to debunk some unnecessary myths that we've probably heard over time. Um, I, I, I've had my own fair share of what people have told me over the years. And in short, there was one person that came recently and told me the truth of, of marriage is that there is no, the only, the only law is that there's no specific law, just find a way to make it work <laughs> and everything. So that's what we're just going to discuss and we'll throw up our questions, but in an orderly manner. I will try to look within scriptures because at the end of the day, it's the scripture that is the foundation for everything that we are going to do. So we're going to look within the scriptures and see exactly what does the scripture say about this union between a man and a woman. Mind you, it is not union between Ada and, uh, and Eve. It is union between man and woman. It is not Adam and Steve man and woman, not man and man, no woman and woman, sorry. <laughs> Let me just put it out there. And so um, the floor is open. But the first thing I would love to ask is what is marriage? Or whenever we hear the word marriage, what comes to our mind first? So does anybody necessarily have anything to say about that? Um, yeah, so when, when marriage comes to mind, the first thing that comes to my mind is union. For me, it's actually- wedding gown. It's actually be. Ah, pre-wedding shoes. So we need to examine your priorities. Pass it your love. is on the roll on our own. <laughs> Okay, so um, I like to speak here. When I think of marriage, I don't know. Maybe this is um, over-involved thinker in me speaking. But when I think of marriage, I think of a contract. Think of I think of a contract that should not end until we die. <laughs> like um, let let me kind of explain what I mean. Um, so. You know, it's kind of like contract in sense of a covenant, right? Like for us Christians, um, marriage first off is not um, a thing of government or something like that. It's a thing of it's bound by faith to God, like our devotion and submission to God, right? And in there, I'm pairing myself up with this other woman, 
and saying, okay, I have these vows and you know, I want to get into this thing with you where despite what I feel sometimes, despite how things go sometimes, this is what we are in it for, right? This is what binds this stuff. So for me, it sounds more like a contract, uh, like a contract. I don't want to make it sound so business and uh, uh, what is it called, capitalist, but yeah, contracts. Someone said, like, you're stuck with one person for life. That's deep, bro. Victoria, please, why are you saying that? I mean, shed more light. <laughs> it's true. Just like, just like what this person said, like, when you're getting married, like, yeah, literally, like, swearing that you need the person for better for worse. Like, when I hear married, like, that's, that's the, one of the first things that comes to mind, like, so I'm going to be stuck with this person for life. Like, even if this person is vexing me, cannot just okay. vex and leave. So, so, let so me that, ask that is and then question. What is one of your biggest marriage? Because it seems like Sorry, said, when you're saying biggest like fears of marriage. Yes. Okay. I don't. I don't really know, but I don't. Know. I don't know, Sha, but it's just it's just scary. Like I'll let me one person. It's not like I plan to be jumping up and down from one man to another. The fact that um I don't know, there's just this idea, or there's just this image of you're just with one person, like the person is in your business, like for life. I don't know. <laughs> so it's just it's just I don't know, Sha, but marriage can also be very beautiful. So I've seen beautiful marriages, but you know, so that's why that's why I said I first said that like marriage to me, when I say marriage, like it's a lot of sacrifice, like you just have to sacrifice like your personal, you don't have any me time anymore, like you don't have any privacy anymore, especially when it comes to that person. And that's that's a big deal for me personally. <laughs> that's it. Okay. Choma is raising her hand. So Choma, what do you have to okay. say? Yeah. I wasn't I wasn't raising up my, my hand, sorry. Okay, just tell us something. What do you think about okay, marriage? Your hand. What comes Okay, what actually comes to my mind is covenant. That's the only word that comes to my mind whenever I get married. Deep. Hmm. Hmm. Which church do you go to? <laughs> CCI. Ah, fantabulous. <laughs> Miriam, do you have anything to add? Oh, yeah, so I, I was going to say, one of the things that used to come to my mind, keyword use, is suffering. Because I grew up hearing, ah, marriage is hard. You have to be patient. Better learn this also. They will not take it from your husband's house. So I associated marriage with hardship. <laughs> well, great. So, you know, I, I was to say, when I grew up, I say, ah, beggar, 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 don't that marriage to You know, it was never part of my agenda because... I don't want to go and suffer. I don't want to go and be sweeping while somebody is knocking my head. 
that kind of thing. So for a long time, I associated suffering with marriage. So I don't know if there are other people like me here that had a very negative connotation of what marriage was supposed to be for a while. You know what? In short, based on what Miriam just said, I want to ask a question to this house. How many people feel like from the moments like they were children, especially for the females, for those ones that actually have brothers, how many people feel like the mothers paid more attention raising up the women that were to be married than paying more attention to the sons? And me, please, my heart, so hard up. Yeah, like any, any small thing like this, my mom would just be like, don't you know, like my brother that I'm five years older than, she telling tell us that don't, don't we know that he's the man of the house that we, we have to respect that we like of this award, like, <laughs> so. That's cool. Ernest, what do you think? What do you think? So, I mean, it, like, I, I can't really relate to that because I, um we're just two boys me and my brother so we're raised you know to expect i think i would say that we were raised in such a way that we know the value of a woman let's put it that way and we know how we should handle women like they put it into our heads from when we were very young so i mean that's that's my experience um, but to, to add to some of the things you've said so far, like I think it's interesting the perspective many people have. I have a love-hate relationship with the, the idea of marriage because just like Victoria said, there are times when marriage is like, oh my God, I can't wait till I'm married. You know, you're excited. Everything is just, you're seeing people in love. You're seeing pre, 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 um, bridal showers and all of those things. And you're like, when is it going to be my turn? But then you realize the other side is not as exciting all the time as you imagine it to be. You are going to go through life with this person. You're going to see things you never saw when you were dating. You're going to have to make decisions that if you had your way, you would not, uh, you, you would make another decision. But because of that person, you have to consider them. So it's like a lifetime journey in sanctification if i can put it that way so yeah it's interesting it's that yeah that those are my thoughts so far sorry someone was raising their hand was it mo um oh yeah yeah so mo go ahead where are you hey, mo, so I feel like most times they try and base everything on the woman, like in marriage, especially Nigerian marriages. They'll be like, women, don't talk back. Don't do this. Just be smiling. But when you think about it, a lot of times it's not the woman that has problems. <laughs> I feel like it should be both ways because you'll be hearing stories that this happened, this happened. And you look at the man and he's not present. Like, I think most girls can testify to this. Their fathers were never around. Like, they would just say they are working, 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 but their fathers were never around, and they were never, like, present and everything. You would think that they are married, but... <laughs> so I'm like, in a situation like that, how is marriage actually meant to be? Because when you see things like that, you see it replicated in how many families in Nigeria. 
you're like, how is he actually meant to be? Is he really a marriage? <laughs> Try to think about it. Uh, thank you, Bo. I guess that's that. Those are some of the things we need to crush today to find out look at what marriage really is, according to God's plan. So Daniel has that up. Hi, Daniel. Yeah. Okay. So um, I just wanted to quickly chip in on. Um, I think this will have a conversation going forward um, on the part of how in homes women are raised more um, with the mindset of marriage and trained more, should I say. Um, I think one of the reasons is, one of the reasons, is that how to say it? Anyhow, Sha. So I think the reasons, my own reasons why I think so is, number one, it is difficult to teach men how to act in marriages. I think it's very, very difficult um, to teach men how to act in marriages because um, for a woman, you can simply say, you know, you give birth to the children, you raise the children, that is your major thing, right? And then, but for the, for the man, it's like, he's supposed to protect, love, clinical, this, that. So it's like, it's very, very difficult to train men how to act in marriages, one. And I think this reason for that one is because most of us don't even know how a marriage is supposed to be. We have these romantic ideas that has been, that has infested our society for so long that we don't even know that these ideas are wrong. We just naturally think that this is how things are supposed to be. So I think those are one of the two major reasons. And then the third one is that on a general scale, men usually don't have mentorship growing up. So those three things, I think it keys in very well in, in how men act in marriages now. And um, there was a video NS sent to um, some of us and the man there said, most of the time that he counseled married couples, the men <laughs> were, the, <laughs> were the troublemakers most of the time. The men were the ones doing things that were wrong. And I quite agree with that. But I don't think it's necessarily because, oh, men are scum or trash or stuff like that. It's because we don't know. The world expects us to just know. And the thing is, we don't know. Nobody comes up and tells you, this is how things are supposed to be. This is one thing I envy women for. There's a little bit of guidance that women have growing up. I'm not saying it's the right kind of guidance, but it is guidance nonetheless. Men don't, and we are just expected to know these things. So it's like, I think tonight will benefit everybody, but I think maybe men a little bit more because we gotta know how to act and we don't know. So please teach us. Thank you so much. Um, Ernest, let's get to um, Genesis 2. And um, let's take it from verse 19, if possible. Okay. So Genesis 2 from verse 19, a lot of us actually know this story, but there are a couple of things I want to point out before we actually move ahead. He says, and out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. Verse 20, please. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to the birds. Sorry, hold on. And to the 
every beast of the field, but for Adam, there was no found, there was not found and help meet for him. Lord God, yeah, 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And then 25, 25. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Okay, so everybody has their own fantastic story to tell. And there was a particular reason I mentioned do we raise uh, African parents more concerned, especially African parents more concerned about raising the girl child to be a, you know, to be the perfect lady in the marriage and yet not so concerned about the male child. And we see what happens in the beginning. And God says, you know what? He looks up and he sees that Adam actually doesn't help have an, um, a helpmate. And he says, it's not good for man to be alone. And so what does he do? He causes Adam to fall into a deep sleep and he removes a rib. But look at Adam's statement. He says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. The first thing we see that Adam actually recognizes or Adam actually does is he doesn't see the woman as different from him. He sees the woman as himself, more or less like an extension of who he is. And in marriage, and the honest truth is, we've, we've, I've heard this thing, but a lot of people actually don't put it into consideration. You wouldn't want to harm yourself. You wouldn't want to do that which is detrimental to yourself. You will want to take care of yourself. You will want to do that which is right by yourself, to nurture yourself, to make you grow. The woman in marriage or your spouse in marriage is not any different from you. And that was the very first thing that Adam actually recognized, that this lady is actually the flesh of my flesh and the bone of my bone. So he recognized that this person was actually an extension, permit me to use that word, an extension of who he was, right? And then we see in verse 25, actually, and a lot of people actually just overlook it. And he says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. They were with each other and they were not ashamed. And then we see in 24, it talks about that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. You know, the, the time, sometimes when we look within scriptures and when we look at the Trinity, the closest parallel we can actually get to the Trinity is the union between a man and his wife. How they are in quotes, two distinct individuals, but yet they are one, united as one. 
and this brings into our mind the first thing I'm going to say about marriage is whoever your spouse is is not necessarily a separate entity, but is an extension of yourself. That was how God made it from the very beginning. So the way you would treat yourself, the way you would take care of yourself, the way you would want to make sure that you are fine and you are okay and all is well with you, is the same way that you would actually treat your wife or treat your husband or treat whoever it is that is with you. I Sometimes I feel like, to be very honest, sometimes I feel like a lot of us actually have bad ideologies of marriage not because we've not seen good ideologies of marriage, but just because a good number of people have very bad theology. Permit me to put it that way. We have very bad understanding of the scriptures, or we have very modeled up understanding of the scriptures. And sometimes what even scares me in our time is how we allow these ideologies creeping into the same foundation that we're meant to have, and which is the Bible. So we allow all these ideologies of, um, you know what, this is how it should be, this is how it should be, twist what it is actually meant to be. So the first thing that I would like to point out, the first thing I would like to state that a marriage is a union between two people. At the point where they are united, they are no longer two separate entities, but they are one, right? The same way you would look at yourself on any given day in the mirror is the same way you are meant to look at the one that you are united with. And it's easy to say because, for example, I'm married, for example, it's a very easy thing to say, just ah, that I'm meant to treat this person like I'm treating myself. Ah, sometimes when I do certain things, ah, or when my wife does certain things, ah, like this night, she pursued me from the room. I was just telling uh, Ernest and, uh, and Daniel earlier on, of how I was chased out of the room. But at the end of the day, you would still recognize, and it's the first thing that should always be at the back of our minds, that the person I am united to, or I am united with, is just, is an extension of me. And just the same way I would want to see myself grow, and I want to see myself do well, it's the same way I want to see that my partner grow and that my partner do well. It is a union between a man and a woman. And I think that was the very first thing we even noticed, that it was a union between a man and a woman. So it's not a union between a man. God did not create another man for Adam. He created Adam and he created Eve. He did not create Adam and Steve. I keep saying this thing. But he created Adam and Eve. And then apart from the fact that it's a union, we see what Adam says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. That means this is the person, this is just an extension of me. And the Bible says, and it is for this reason, Another very important thing, it is for this reason that a man will leave his mother and his father. Not saying do not respect, but the union is between you and your wife. Whatever is going to happen within your nuclear family, it is between you and your wife. Respect your parents, no doubt. But put it at the back of your mind that your marriage is between you and your wife. At the end of the day, when God is looking at you, God is not going to tell you, oh, what did your parents tell you to do? No, it is both of you that are united together. So I find it very interesting that so many people or so many marriages in our time and age have it. Um, um, you can hear or you would see the fact that 
an in-law will come from nowhere that is your wife that is doing you. Now it's your wife that is poisoning you, this, that, 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 that. Or the wife will say your husband is a useless, or the wife's friend will say your husband is a useless man, this, that, 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 that. No, they are not included. Patience of Zoko. They are not included at all. It is simply between the man and the wife. And then in verse 25, he says something that they were not ashamed. They were naked together and they were not ashamed. So your spouse is a safe place. Your spouse is your safe place. Because my mom once told me something and as the days goes by, I see it happen more and more in my life. I see the fact that my wife out of everyone in this world is the one that wants me to succeed the most. In short, if you want to get my wife really angry, just touch me. There was a day she almost shouted at my immediate boss that was in the office because he had done something to me. I had to say, I beg, please calm down, calm down, calm down. They were together and they were not ashamed. So she is your confidant. She is your safe spot. She is that person that when things are bad, you can always just rely on. It's, it's a union. And the beautiful thing about it is that the truth of the matter is once we are able to recognize the fact that, you know what, this is a union between both of us. You are basically an extension of me like there is um, no one else that is meant to be within or come into this marriage. It is between me and you. Not saying you cannot take advice, but as well as be careful with the advice you listen to. At the end of the day, it is still between you and your wife. And then finally, recognizing that you are each other's safe space. There can be no need or no reason for shame within your union or within your marriage. And this will lead us to further questions. I think Miriam had a question that she wanted to ask, but I just wanted to quickly drop that definition first out there. It is a union between a man and a wife. Your wife or your husband is basically an extension of you. It is between both of you. And lastly, the person is your safe space. So Miriam, you had a question you wanted to ask. Please go ahead. I think she just left. Oh, wow. Interesting. He, he just connected back. I wanted, to, I wanted to buttress something that Treasure said. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Yeah. Yes, cool. we can. Cool. So what I wanted to add is just a, a verse that solidifies what Treasure just said. It's so profound. Um, this same text, Genesis chapter 2, uh, from verse 20, 23, 24, 25, and what Treasure is saying about that oneness. Paul brings that picture in Ephesians. So I want to show that on the screen. Ephesians chapter five. Uh, let's read from verse 25. All right. I don't know if the screen is showing. Yeah. So Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. I'm sure we'll still come back to this later on. But look at this verse 26 it says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing 
but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now, this is the part. It says, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. So when Treasure was saying um, she's your extension, he would meant it literally. Like once you get married, that your spouse becomes your extension. Just the same way you can see the unity in the Godhead. Like God is not this, God the Father is not the Son, but the Son is God. And you can see that perfect unity. You can see that perfect oneness, all right? As, and you can, you can clearly see that that's God's intention in marriage. It's love your wives as your own body. And your, it says, he that loveth his wife loveth himself. So this is just beautiful. I wanted to add that to what Treasure was saying. Um, Miriam, I think you're supposed to. You got disconnected, but Treasure was asking um, for you to bring up the question you had or the statement you had, rather. Oh, yeah, sorry, my, uh, my network was bad for a bit. So just on the flip side of everything that Treasure has said, so we, do, we, we want the men to love unconditionally as Christ loves the church and treat, you know, their wives as an extension of them and all of that. And it's so beautiful. But to bring us back to my point initially, so, so many girls, many young girls, grow up hearing, you know, do this, don't you know your husband agrees, do this, they don't do that. And we had this mindset that our husbands are supposed to squash us and maltreat us or something. But that, that's the exception. That's the extreme part because scripturally, the husband has a place of authority in the home. And that is something that is a bit hard for a lot of women to accept because just after, you know, Christ, and love your wife as Christ loves the church, we have to always put that back into the equation so that there's a balance. So in as much as we want to be loved, there's a, there's a place where uh, we're supposed to submit and respect and um, truly accept the authority of a man over you. And the feminist in me is raging and fighting this, but the word of God reigns supreme because that is the mandate that we follow. So the question I want to choose to the house now is, what do we think is the purpose of marriage? Why do it all? Why are we even bothered with learning all this? So. Okay, I feel like no one heard me. So if you heard me, just unmute and say hi. Hi. Hello, please, um, you can go ahead and if you want to answer the question. I don't know who was speaking before. Does anyone want to attend the question, you know, like just give your thoughts? What yeah. do you think is the purpose? Okay, please go ahead. Yes, we have an excited, yes, please. Okay, so I think marriage is something that God created, yeah, to actually improve, improve um, hum, um, human beings, like potentials 
I feel when you enter into a marriage, it's meant to be for a benefit for you. Because when you think about it, God was doing it that, okay, each person will strengthen the other. Like it's two people, two complete people in Christ Jesus entering a marriage. So I feel like a marriage is meant to be something that you grow together. There's a bond, a close bond. It's like a safe place for you. It's not meant to be, how I explain, tension. It's a safe place for you too. It's, yeah. And I also feel like marriage, yeah. Sorry, I hope I'm clear. I hope I'm not just beating around the bush. Yes, you are, you are. Okay. Also, marriage is like fundamental for family. So I feel when God was creating marriage, he was actually doing it for family too. Because when you love the way Christ loved now, you see a generation of people that have that perception towards life, loving the way Christ loves. So I feel that was also another reason for marriage. That's what I think personally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank you so much, but that was so profound. So are there other people that would like to try? I'll, I'll like to okay, so just like okay, so just like Mo said, marriage. I think the first reason for marriage is the first purpose for marriage is for you know two people are coming together, two people that already have like a purpose, and which in our context in Christ we already have a purpose in Christ, so we are coming together to help each other, you know help each other achieve that purpose, first of all, and then secondly, for family to be, marriage is like the bedrock for family, you know, where you're supposed to raise children and demonstrate that union between Christ and the church. That was, that was an awesome one. And I'd like to, um, I'd like to kick off from the last point she made, um, mirroring the union, or should I say fellowship between Christ and the church. Um, a couple of months ago, I wasn't even trying to study on marriage, but it was kind of like an epiphany that I had, that marriage, Christian marriage was basically a throuple, you know, like three people were in the marriage. It wasn't just among man and woman, it was man, woman, and then you have a lot Jesus Christ, you understand? Because um, I was talking with a friend about what binds marriage, you understand? Like if we did not have the court of law, which I have a question about that, but later, if we did not have the court of law, like primarily what binds marriage, and for us Christians, it is God, or you know, in this case, Jesus Christ, right? So it was um, marriage was first and foremost to, I think give a physical representation, a physical worldly representation of the fellowship that God had in, in and of himself. Because um, I was, I can't remember what I was listening to. And the person said, we say God is love, but if God was always alone before creation, then how did God love? Who was there to be loved? Who was there to have fellowship with? So I think God had that. And in, and we know God's love and, and everything is part of his communicable attributes to us. So I think marriage was a platform for us to be able to embody that fellowship and that sense of love, you understand, sacrifice that God had in himself. And, you know, he communicated to us human beings and marriage was that platform. 
So yeah, so I think that was that was I think for me that's major purpose, you know, um, to mirror the the fellowship that God had in Himself in the Trinity, and then that now boils down to how we raise our children, how we, you know, treat each other, etc., 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 and that's it for me. Yeah, that, that's really good. I wanted to ask a question. Um, I don't know where Treasure went, but I have a question. Go ahead. Go ahead. By the way, Treasure, if you can grab Ruby, bring her. She should be here too. Let her, let her give us some thoughts. Why is she They're asking for you. Okay, so I was going to say, I mean, we've been seeing a whole lot about, you know, Christ and the church. Um, it's meant to be a mirror, and I agree 100%. But I'm sure some people might be thinking like, okay, but it's not only Christians that marry, you know, unbelievers marry. So like, is, what's the purpose of marriage from a gen generalistic standpoint? Like, is there something else apart from mirroring God's, um, you know, communicable attributes? Because I, I believe there are people who will not get married. And so if they don't get married, are they somehow not fulfilling God's plan, you know? So I wanted to maybe clarify that aspect so that we kind of see, you know, what the full picture of marriage is like. Is there more to marriage than just the reflection of Christ and the church? Hope my question makes sense. It does. Who wants to tackle this question? You know, when man of God asks all this kind of question, me, my brain is shaking. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll have to go first. Uh, okay. There is... There is family tax, you know, there is joint account. There is, okay, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> okay, so um, this is something I um, struggled with a couple of years ago because I was like, uh, if marriage was this original um, Christian institution, religious institution, then how do we have successful marriages outside church? Like, if it is just to mirror Christ, these people are not mirroring Christ. So what the heck is going on? So um, somebody, I, I can't, I really can't remember who this is, but the person was like family. Family becomes one of the uh, major purposes for marriage, especially for non-believers. It's like family. And then the person on of value, of wealth, of all these kind of things, um, it's... I think marriage in a secular sense is a way for you to build a legacy, uh, you know, for you and your partner to build a legacy. So um, what I mean, for instance, is I remember Pastor Laji Aaron was teaching, um, I think this was two months ago, um, talking about raising children and training children, raising children up in Christ. And she said something, she said, children will pick up everything from you. They will, they, will, they will pick up everything from you. I like this philosopher, Alan, Alan de Botton, said, he said, our parents, with all the right intentions, damaged us. <laughs> so in other words, our insecurity, we most likely inherited it from our parents. Our vice, oh, we most likely inherited it from our parents. So it's like marriage, aside from the mirroring Christ and everything is also a creation of legacy, passing down of values and everything. Basically, family. Now there's, there's still the tax breaks, like someone, like she said, citizenship, all those kind of things, but primarily outside of Christian um, worldview, it's family. 
for me, that's my answer. Anybody else who wants to tackle it? I want to spin it in another actually. Um, and how I want to spin it is this. Um, even in the fallen man, he still has a form of the imago Deo in him. That's the image of God. Uh, we were all created in the image of God. And so even in our fallen nature, sometimes we still display some of those characteristics or some of those things that the Godhead actually displays. And one of those things is the union or the companionship that we see. If I use the word companionship, I'm looking for a right word. But let me just stick with the word union that we actually see that goes on with the Godhead itself and everything. And so we see it still play out even in normal people who are you know even christians there is this longing to have someone in their life to share moments to have um, joyful moments happy moments and all that there is this um this thing even down to morality to want to do that which is good to want to do that which is right and all these things can still be linked back to the fact that Every human being, no matter who he is, or no matter his sinful, fallen nature, still has a form of the image of God, since he was actually created in that image, but a deformed sense of it. So he still has that, that longing to actually want to be married or to want to actually have to share moments with this person or to actually show some form of love. That, that we see within the Godhead and all that. So that is one way I can also think about that question. Um, and as uh, um, Daniel has already said, uh, people go into it for various reasons. Uh, people that are not Christian right now, um, probably as you mentioned, um, citizenship. I think citizenship is one thing. Sure, there's one of my friends that is in the Obodoibo right now. I told her specifically, I drew her ear and said, you must get white man. You're not coming back to this country. So... <laughs> <laughs> Don't mind me. But um, those are some of the um, other reasons. But one way I can actually clearly look at it is the fact that um, even the unbeliever, as funny as he sounds, still has a form of the image of God within him. But um, then again, if the man chooses not to be married, now let me address something else. It's not like um, he's doing anything wrong. For example, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 spoke about how he wishes people could be like him that is unmarried so that they will be very focused on the word of, of doing the work of the lord without distractions focus very focused actually without any distraction you don't have to be thinking of hey rent to pay or, hey this one to do or, no 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 you don't be focused you know following god you know it's very interesting because when i was in school you can ask Kenneth. that time i was always thinking of how i go to one missionary field in south sudan you not know, give my life up for the cross now i tell my wife i want to go to missionary mission what where are you going <laughs> so, <laughs> so um but so there's actually nothing wrong if a man actually just chooses you know to just focus on the Lord without actually having to get married. It's not a, it's not a bad thing as well. Okay, yeah, and I think and I think we should show that for people that are you know wondering what we're talking about. So let me share my screen. And if you've been reading um, First Corinthians with us, this should not be a mystery to you. So um, First Corinthians chapter seven. Uh, 
let's see. This is Paul's admonition, right? He's talking about, you know, people who are married and he gives different, um, you know, the word here used in King James is concession. He gives them a concession based on the wisdom he has received from God. So he starts with, um, let's start from here. And this is, I mean, we don't have a lot, we, we have a whole lot to, to talk about in this subject of marriage, but I'm, I'm glad for where we are. So um, Paul is here saying, I wish that all of you could be like me. Basically, like if you can, I wish you could be single like I am. But he says, every man has his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. And then look at this, he starts to talk to some categories. Obviously there's a context here, but let's just read it for the sake of that. Um, it says, I say therefore to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. So unmarried, if you're unmarried, Paul is saying it might seem like a better idea to stay unmarried, you know. Um, then look at this, but look at the caveat he gives. But if they cannot contain, contain is, is King James' way of saying if congee cannot be controlled, you know, he said, let him marry, <laughs> for it is better to marry than to burn, you know. And so he said, hey, if you can be like me, you'll be like me. You'll be able to focus on God, do ministry perfectly, no distraction, nobody to pinch you and say, hey, go, go out, leave my house, leave my room, <laughs> like treasure. <laughs> nobody to do that, basically. But he says, if, you know, you can't contain a beg, Go and marry. And he says, unto the married, I command you not to depart. So this is a two-way thing. If you're married and now you're hearing Paul talking about, oh, how beautiful it is to just stay single. He says, no, don't change your mind. You're married though, you know. And then the last part I want to bring up um, that, um, that Treasure was talking about just now. Uh, where is it? I think it's verse... Okay, yeah, it's still down there. Verse 25, 28. I just, you guys should have read this. I'm hoping because we've been reading 1 Corinthians throughout the weeks. So you should know this already, but I'm just showing you some of these things. Um, are thou bound to a wife? Meaning, are you married? Don't seek to be loosed. Are, are you loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. And there was a context here, like I said, the context was the verse before because of the present distress. But I want to show you the one where he talks about, you know, if you are single, you can focus. Yeah, this is it, verse 32. But I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried, cared for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married, takes care or care for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. <laughs> so that is so, so interesting to, to note. All right, I'll stop here. Just wanted to put some text to that. By the Thank way, welcome so to everyone who is just joining us. You're welcome to Bible Marathon. Please go ahead, Treasure. Thank you so much, Enes, for that, uh, for that scripture. Okay, so now let's... Let's quickly rush through some of the myths that we probably have about marriage, or I wouldn't just call them just myths alone. So myths, fears, 
things that you've probably seen within your society or within your culture or where you stay and you feel like there are things for concern. So like the very first one about how it feels like so many times, like parents just seem to just focus on just the ladies and how the ladies should be good women when they're in the marriages, but never seem to focus on the guys and raising the guys to also be good husbands. So what are also some of those probably probable things that you've heard and you question? I would love to hear like people's response what are the things that you probably might have heard or you might have seen or you might have listened to at one point or the other? And I have one very, very interesting question. So I'll just drop this one here. Which gender, because there is this thing about cheating, 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 cheating. Which gender, according to people in Bible Marathon, do we think cheats the most? And there is a reason for this question. So okay, you I'm can answer that question first. And then answer my own question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, Daniel here. So I'm going first. Concerning myths, um, I don't know because we don't really talk about marriage in this our house. Um, Daniel, you're lucky. <laughs> if we don't, there's no pressure in this house. None at all. <laughs> but um, I think concerning the what gender cheats um, the most, according to studies that I've read, it's kind of equal between men and women, but it just at different stages. Um, they say women tend to cheat in early stages of marriage and men tend to cheat at the later stages of marriage uh, because women are more in their prime in the early stage of marriage. Like they are more beautiful at that time. They are still much more desirable according to studies. Nobody done talk about please then but the men are you know later later they've grown they've gotten that money they've gotten that bag now they are much more interesting and there's this thing that people believe that young girls don't want to sleep with 50 year old that is is a lie if the money is there <laughs> they are coming for you so it's both genders according to many psychological studies and sociological studies i've read it's both genders just at different stages that's me <laughs> That's a, that's a very interesting way to answer that question. Please, guys, myths that you probably have heard, uh, things that you probably have seen that you want to point out, uh, and then this is my tricky question. Okay, so, sorry. Let me add something about the myths I've heard. Um, that is the one of, um, there is one man made for one woman or one woman made for one man from heaven, something like that. Yeah, so. Ah, Kabaye, speak on, brother, please. Fire forward. No, you know, I just wanted to mention that not just, uh, I thought you said we should talk about myths that we've heard now. Right? Oh, the, myth, that, the myth of so myths, I mean. That really myths. Like, that is the question I want to ask. Like, do we actually believe like everyone actually has a soulmate? There's just this one that, you know, you know how our parents, ah, God, oh God, if you grow up in a Pentecostal church, ah, you will hear things like, there was one testimony I had one day, please, I must share this. One man told us that this is how told God he wanted his wife to be. Everything, gave the specifications down to the name. Brother, yeah, then God gave him the wife down to the name. So guys, what so, do you think? 
people are asking that we talk about this one. Seems like it's a very big issue. So I want I want to just throw in some thoughts on this. I was listening to Joseph Prince long ago. He was the first person that broke this myth for me, like broke it into pieces. He shattered it. So Joseph Prince was talking to young people and he was like, um, you know, the people have this idea that there's just one person that God has created for you. And if you don't marry that person, you are basically out of purpose. You know, imagine if that person that was for you got married to another person. So they, they made a mistake and got married to someone else. So that means your own destiny is shattered for life. So now you're going to mess up another person's destiny by marrying that one. Who is supposed to be the wife of another guy? <laughs> so when he broke it down that way, he, he, he just made no sense. You see? So I think the main issue here is understanding that it is man and woman. And the criterion God gives is in the Lord. Marry in the Lord. So for a Christian, it's get married to someone who is of the opposite sex. Very important. Church has been hammering on this. All right, no culture, no, no westernization, nothing can change the word of God on this matter. It's man and wife. Next, it has to be someone for your safety and for the glory of God, someone in the Lord, someone who believes the same thing you believe. If you have those two things, and then I would add as a concession, there's, there's some level of compatibility. There are some people who are believers that you can't just, you, it will work, I'm sorry not because of anything, but because you just don't flow. You can't have conversation with this person. Like being together is like a burden. That's, that's already a sign that something is off, you know. But biblically speaking, you know, man to wife and in the Lord. But that's the only criterion. There's no one that God has predestined before time began, before the foundation of the world and wrote her name in the that's marriage so. book of life. There's nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> One material, one thousand yards. Are you trying to tell me there's no there's no material in the market? It's not possible. Please don't break my mind. That's okay. 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 Um, I like to chip in on this also meeting, and I'm going to shamelessly plug myself in here. Um, there's this idea called romanticism that I am exploring in um episodes of my podcast from this week, so I'll be posting it on the group. But one of the ideas of racism is the idea of soulmate, the idea of the right person, the perfect person, right? Which is not biblical in any sense. They, like Enes said, there is certain criteria that you know, everybody wants to meet, but that doesn't make this person the right person that was destined for you. Now, people like to interpret Adam and Eve as, you know, soulmates, right? But it's like, first off, Eve was the first woman. Who do you think Adam was going to marry? Wind? I don't I don't know. Like where 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 did you think that was going to lead to? And second, if you read very well, when God brought Eve to Adam, God didn't tell Adam, Adam, this is your woman, take her, and that's it. Adam still had to do the choosing himself. He still had to proclaim Eve as his wife. You know, and you see that in every other part of the of the Bible. People like to think that God runs this dating agency, you know, heavily tinder swipe right to get the right one i don't know but the lord is that school no so i just have to put that in and this whole thing of the right one the right saying the right one is also trying to it's just another way of saying soulmate you know because the concept of soulmate is that the soulmate is the right one 
that when you find this one person, everything in your life that has been subject to confusion, that has mm. been subject to, you know, failure, everything will just get corrected. You will become mm. whole. You understand? All these scars, emotional, mental, spiritual, we just keep. It's like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know about you, but... I, and I'm going to draw out um, Treasure here. Yeah, treasure said something um, last year. <laughs> I'm not going to say where last year, but Treasure said ah. something that he... <laughs> okay, I'm not even going to say it. Sorry, I forgot. <laughs> Let's move on. Say it, say it. We want to hear it. Say it. Are you sure? Okay. Treasure said, um, I, I think I've forgotten who asked, but you know, somebody asked Treasure, did you marry the right one? And Treasure was, he, he doesn't believe there is a right one or he doesn't believe in marrying the right one. Just, um, how did he phrase it? I think you phrased it in a way like saying, um, you married the person that was most right for you at the time or like most compatible for you, something along those lines. But not in the concept of, ah, now this one, this is the one that God, you know, created specifically. God looked at my future and said, this is the woman that will fit the future I want for this guy. It's like, no, fam. Nah. <laughs> okay, so um, one thing I like to say is that there is nothing wrong in actually praying to God for guidance. I think that's where a good number of people actually miss it. So they believe that, you know what, that... Uh, Guardians means that the Lord will tell me, my son, Ernest, look left, look out the window to the far land. There's someone I have set for you. That is the person. Let's take, for example, classic story, Isaac and Rebecca. Um, we didn't see Abraham, no praise God, as he gets there to the world. He did not give God specifications. He just prayed and then he sent his servant. And everything. And then we see the fact that when Rebecca came and the Bible recorded, and Isaac loved his wife, basically. It wasn't a case of, ah, when Rebecca now came, say, no, God, this is not the one that you actually showed me, and everything. There is nothing wrong in praying to God for guidance, right? There is nothing wrong in telling God, you know, this next step of my life, this next journey of my life, please guide me and all that. There's nothing wrong in doing all of that. But to come and, come and start telling me that, you know what, there is that the one. I don't know how many of you have watched that movie, the one. You see, there is that one, that particular one in that far hinterland that you are meant to pick and everything. What happens whereby, for example, you're married to someone and that your supposed soulmate dies? And then does that mean like you can actually never remarry because the one that was meant for you don't buy and don't work out from this world? No, no. You shall That's be lonely for life. <laughs> that means you will be lonely forever. No, it's not the case. But what I see happen is whoever it is that you decide to love as a man and as a husband, the Bible has commanded you that you must love as Christ loves the church. So even if you go marry a witch from village, the Bible has told you that you must love such a person. And that is the command that we are actually given. I don't believe, so when people tell me like things like, you know, when people divorce and they say irreconcilable differences, 
that thing used to baffle me sometimes because I believe like if you actually love someone or you love the way the Bible has actually commanded you to love that particular person, there is no blemish or there is no disability that you cannot find a way to walk through. Um, I've heard also crazy things like I must, I was talking to a friend recently and the friend was telling me something like ah, that I must have sex before I get married. Reason. What's the reason? And it's a very popular thought within a lot of ladies, actually, that my man should be able to please me. I must be able to test to be sure that uh, this one can, <laughs> can live up to standard. And I went to one, one city um, one time. So there's this pastor I love listening to. His name is Pastor Fermi. He attended his um, city church and everything. And he basically states that nobody was created a sex part. And his point was it is in the marriage that you guys will learn a lot of things especially as regards the aspect of sex it is in that marriage that was how it was created from the very beginning that it is within your union that you guys would understand each other would understand okay this is what my wife likes or this is what my husband likes and things like this and honestly speaking we should have it at the back of our mind that we, as we are going to be parents one day, we should teach our sons as much as we teach our daughters. Because I've seen it happen a lot, whereby we, I think our parents were quick to forget that the Bible didn't just command the women, they also commanded the men. And you know mm -hmm. the annoying that the command they gave to the men is even the harder one, because yeah. you to love my wife like Christ loves the church. Oh boy, that is hard because this guy loves the church unconditionally. And guess what? Listening to Paul Washer one day is, and Paul Washer was saying, how would you ever learn to love your wife unconditionally if she never commits any offense? How would you ever learn if she actually never commits any offense, then how can you actually tell that you actually love this person unconditionally? She told this one that you have been raising her since. I, uh, guys, let's, let's, let's hear what she told speak your truth. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I think what you, something you mentioned made me want to talk about a myth that I've heard and it's um, that love is not enough. Love is never enough. Um, and someone had told me that thing in the past and you know, I believed it, but you know, as Christians, if we love how um, Christ said we should love, if we, if we understand that the basis of our faith, matter of fact, is love, right? <laughs> love is actually enough. If we read um, 1 Corinthians 13, I believe, um, that explains how love should be. You would realize that love is actually enough. Um, so I think that's why maybe people feel like marriage is also scary. Like, oh my God, you're trying to tell me this person forever or to this person, you know, pushes me to my limits, that kind of thing. But um, the way we are commanded to love, the way we are um, we're meant to love, like how Christ loved um, or loves, um, it should be enough it, it, it is enough right if only we'll just you know love that way but then i understand it's not easy right but we're empowered to 
right? There is nothing that God has commanded us to do that he hasn't already blessed us with the ability to. So, um, yeah, we're helped, really. That's my system. Now I'll drop my hand. When you said it's noisy, it's actually noisy. Take it from me. Just take it from me. Teaching my wife how to, oh, God, that's tested my patience like nothing else in this life. Ah, (laughs) Even you... It's not easy. Let's let's just keep it like that. Ayo, please, what's your question? Okay, so she's asking, if I get a divorce, can I remarry? Enes, please, I think you actually read the scripture on this. So can you yeah. answer yeah. this question for us? So I will only give the short answer here. Um... Yes and no. <laughs> um, the, the Bible is very clear. And as we've said, the, the, the goal of a Christian is love from a pure heart with a pure conscience. That means that we want to display the love that Christ has for the church. And so when we look at marriage, the first thing that should be on our minds is Christ and the church. What Christ will not do to the church, he doesn't expect us to do. So we have a higher standard in Christ. In the Old Testament, as we'll see next week, we're doing understanding the law. We're going to talk a little bit about some of these issues. Um, One of the things you realize is that there was a bill of divorce in the law of Moses. Moses saw that there were some, some, some things called unreconcilable differences. And so Paul um, Moses said, you know, if a man gives you a bill of divorce, there's all of that legal stuff, even right from then, and you could legally be separated. And once that happens, such a person can remarry. Then Jesus comes on the scene and then says, hey, there's a greater standard here. It's love, love God and love your neighbor. And basically Jesus himself, even though he was teaching um, authoritatively about the fact that we must love one another said something interesting in, I think it's in Matthew he says um, go, um, if for the for the sake of, or for the reason of um, sexual immorality so that is the only criterion that we see Jesus himself give um, in the gospels But then we come to the New Testament and we see higher, a higher standard, which is, hey, as much as is in your power, your ability, that's not God's standard. Divorce is not God's standard. Now, if your your parents have had a divorce or you have had a divorce or, you know, um, anyone you know has had a divorce, it doesn't make them less a child of God. It doesn't make them anything less, just like, you know, certain things we do can basically um, not be up to par with God's um, perfect plan. But what you need to realize is it's not God's best. Divorce is not God's best. Now, I know there are more questions here that will come up with what I'm saying, but the reality is that the standard is still Christ and the church. It means that me, if someone were to treat me, get even if my wife, for example, were to cheat on me so badly, let's say she slept with like, three men and I found out and I bring it to her and she, you know, is repentant or she says she's sorry. 
you know, validly, if I were to stand on what Jesus said, she did something called sexual immorality. So I should, I can, based on that, let her go. But the love of Christ teaches me something bigger. It constrains me. It says I can forgive 70 times seven and I can still keep her as my wife. That's the standard that God gives us. That is way higher, all right? But it's a conversation. I mean, one of my favorite, um, um, just someone I listen to a whole lot, his name is Mike Winger. He has a two-hour teaching on divorce and remarriage, and it's not a straightforward issue. So I think this is an issue where you would need to do further study. Um, just, I think the main point I want to make here is don't desire to have a divorce. You are breaking the perfect image of Christ and the church. Christ will never divorce his church. Like he's committed to seeing them cleansed by the word, washed, purified. And that's what Ephesians 5 we read earlier says. You're supposed to do the job to cleanse them. So I think we should have a continuation of this next month in our vulnerability. I, I was actually going to say that as well because we're already out of time and um, it seems like there's actually going to be a whole lot more questions coming up as we are touching various topics or touching various places. But before I will allow Victoria to talk, I quickly want to mention something. Um, the kind of love we talk about every time we say love, 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 love. And then when we look at what Christ did for the church, and then even when you look at 1 Corinthians 13, one of the very striking things you would see about love is love is sacrificial, right? On both ends. A lot of times what we see happening when we hear people that say, you know what, irreconcilable differences and stuff like that, is when one party is not willing to let go of certain things or is not willing enough to sacrifice something for the other party. And that is what makes it, because the truth of the matter is, if we could actually love both men and women, love just as Christ has shown us that example to love, I don't think there is anything that could actually ever come up that the husband and the wife would not be able to handle if they were actually to love just as the scripture tells us or just as how Christ has shown us how to love. Love is sacrificial. and. So when we even check 1 Corinthians 13, we see that love goes beyond the emotions or the feelings. And in short, a lot of things that you will notice in that 1 Corinthians 13 is a lot of things that it mentions love doesn't do. It's more or less like actions and not just words. And the truth about the matter is, to be very sincere, you would not feel those mushy feelings every single day of your life for that person. There are days that I come back home and I literally just want to be alone. But it occurs to me somewhere in my mind that I have made a commitment. And sometimes it doesn't even occur to me. But my wife, knowing the kind of person or the kind of husband that she has, will look at it and would say, okay, you know what? There is actually something going on with him at this particular point in person. And then we'll probably get to talk about it later and, and stuff like that. But it is more than those itchy feelings that we feel on the inside. Because take it from me, those feelings will go one day. It will, sometimes it will go. You'll be wondering, who did I marry? And all those things. you even be asking yourself, oh, Lord, are you sure this was what I was meant to do at this particular point in time? But even in those moments, 
you are meant to show in your actions because love is just more than that thing you feel on the inside. It is the actions that you also carry out. Yes, Victoria. Um, okay, thank you. Thank you, Treasure. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Ernest. And everybody that's completed was so blessed. Okay, so what I wanted to like really point out, I think the person that asked the question that um, is it right to get married after divorce was pointing to that Matthew, I think Matthew 5, where Jesus said you should not get you should not get divorced unless it is actually it's from a case of adultery and then he said whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery so i've heard people say that i've heard people use that as a case for once you get divorced you cannot remarry okay that's one then the second one i wanted to actually ask if we we're going to talk about this issue of men being the head of the family like if you can break it down because i've had a conversation with someone before about feminism and we're talking about like feminism generally and he said that okay if you're a true christian you can't really be a feminist and i'm like okay is it feminism the way people do do it in the world of feminism for what it truly is as men and women being equal like both of you are the same and it's like even that that and he's going to use the excuse of okay because men are supposed to be the head of the house and women are supposed to submit to the man and i'm like does that like I don't know like is there's just that conflict there because how feminists would be like okay you are not supposed a man has the same rights as a woman a woman has the same rights as a man so why are you saying it is mandatory can be the head of the house and not the woman right. Treasure, do you want to speak to that? Because I, I wanted to just bring, I wanted to share what we already discussed before. Like the True. topics we have to talk about. Let me just list them so you know and prepare your mind for next month. We're still talking about this purpose of marriage. We still need to go in depth into it. Um, are there roles in marriage? If yes, who defines them? We're still going to discuss that. Um, we, we discussed mostly the myths of marriage today. We still have divorce and remarriage in the list of things to talk about. And then also, in how do we choose? Like the whole thing about when should one get married, both time, person, should you date someone um, that you're not going to get married to? All of those questions. Sorry, so, if we could also add one more thing. The issue right. of uh, domestic violence would also come into yeah. play. On right. the grounds of domestic violence, can a woman actually leave or can a man actually leave a relationship whereby he's being or the person is being um, beaten um, regularly? What is the advice you would give to someone that is actually going through domestic violence? That's actually something we would also need to discuss yeah. about. Well, I'll just tell you now, that person should be out of there. I don't think it's something we can wait to talk about for to next month if you are being physically abused i think paul even gives a, a almost an idea of that you know in in first corinthians 7 when he was talking about if you are married to someone who is an unbeliever and you know he's he lets you go there, there are some things like that like if he's willing to let you go you can so there are some it's it's a tricky area and that's why i said it's it deserves a whole discussion so look forward to 
vulnerability Sunday next month. I know it seems far, but feel free to ask your questions. We'll gather all of them, we'll curate them. I just want to say thank you to Treasure. Thank you to Miriam. She couldn't stay because of our network. Thank you, Daniel. You guys officiated this so beautifully. I'm so proud of you guys. And I'm, I'm always just encouraged when I see what you guys do. Um, because we're out of time, I'm just going to show some announcements. All right. So let's just pay attention to these announcements real quick. So by the way, we've done all our sermons, all our teachings, all our sessions. They've all been done and curated in a beautiful place by our resource team um, headed by the able Daniel. We have a podcast. You can get all the teachings there. I'm going to get back to uploading videos. I just want to edit them and make sure that their quality, the quality is better. Um, but yeah, you can always get all these resources. Go back, listen to some of the things we've talked about. Many of the things that we even were trying to establish today, we've established before. So it's important, all right? Um, so as we want to start doing something, I mentioned it the last time. I want you guys to send your questions, all right? Send your questions in to any of the admin and say, hey, I want this question addressed in Bible Marathon. We're trying to move away from the church style of having these meetings to a conversational, like actual, let's talk about the issues that the church is not really discussing. Let's fill in those gaps. That's why everything is targeted. Hermeneutics, not many churches teach how to study the Bible. We are doing that. Not many churches teach apologetics. We're doing that. No one talks about the vulnerable stuff. We're doing that. You know, many people leave out the power of God. We want to learn what it really is. So you can see how, the, how um, strategic we are. So if you have questions, like I'm seeing so many questions in the, at the last minute of our conversation, what do we do? We, we have to let you guys go. So bring in those questions. Let's get them together and we'll handle them. We'll have topics and we'll take them one after and the they, other. And they drop it on the group as well. Like, uh, like yeah. this one now, they're asking now that we can't necessarily answer it. So I'll beg yeah. all of you guys to just drop it on the group. So maybe you would send voice notes um, yeah. responding to those questions. Yeah, please do that. Like, we don't even need to make it too formal. If you have a question you need a biblical answer to, throw it in the group and say, hey, can anyone help with this? And we'll provide the answer for you. If we feel the answer is not biblically correct, we have, we have a, a plethora of theologians that will say, hey, okay, check this, check this. Treasure is there. Daniel is there. You know, Olayinka is there. There are all these people who will be like, hmm, hmm, something's fishy. But we'll make sure we give you the right answer as is in our capacity to... So please ask your questions, all right? Um, and then next Sunday, this one, please don't miss it. I'm begging you. If you were around for the first one, a lot of people sent messages. People that attended it were like, man, this thing opened my eyes. Now I understand what the law is really about, the law of Moses. If you weren't there, go and listen to the old one. We are finishing it now. We're answering questions about, okay, now that we know what the law of Moses is, are the Ten Commandments for us, the believers, you know, what part of the law should we take or not take? How do we handle the law today? You need to be at this teaching, all right? So it's next month, first day of the next month, Sunday, August 1st. Don't miss it. It's understanding the law part two. And hopefully it's the last part. All right. And then this week is your week. Say amen. <laughs> if you've not been reading, <laughs> if you've not been reading, 
with us, please. You are sinning. <laughs> you are sinning. You are committing an offense that is unreconcilable, and you should just. <laughs> I'm joking. I mean, I, I really mean it. Like, guys, please. Um, you should be studying the word of God. You should be in the word. All right. So if you are not reading, make it a point of duty to read with us. Let it be that when I say, oh, in this verse, you people know where I'm talking about. That's why we are doing this. Everyone should know the word of God for themselves so that they are not tossed to and fro and they are not like used to do Bobo and, and Milo. I don't even know what I'm saying. So yeah, please, that's it from me. Um, like I said, if you have any questions, reach out. But we have amazing stuff coming for you. We have the executive team is taking shape and everyone is having their roles. Very soon, we're going to announce who is who. All right, so get ready for that. And that will start next month. So um, get excited. All right, let's just pray as we end. Thank you, Father, for this time. It was beautiful. Thank you for exposing the reality of your word on the subject of marriage. We have a lot more to cover, but thank you for what we've received today. Thank you for all those who participated we ask, Lord, that your goal, your purpose in marriage would be what we will seek after, what we will desire, not what the world teaches, but what your word teaches us. Help us to desire great, sustained, powerful, Christ-glorifying, God-exalting marriages. And for those who are still looking forward to being married, I pray, Lord, that they will make no mistakes. They will make right decisions using your wisdom as a guide. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you guys for coming. If you want to chill, we're done. But if you want to chill and like some of these questions, we can just discuss them. But we are done. I'm ending the recording now and you guys can go. But if you want to still chill, um, we'll still stay. Because I know some people are like, I can't wait for this thing. <laughs> so yeah, have a beautiful rest of your day, your night, and all of that. Thank you, Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you so Thank much you. for joining me, guys. Thank you so much, everyone. Yes, Daniel, everyone. I think yeah. I found your wife. Yeah, I want to eh? chill. I want to hear my answer. I think I found your wife, Daniel. <laughs> Daniel. Thank you for listening to this recording. We hope this session was a blessing to you as it was for us. If you'd like to be an active part of Bible Marathon, Maybe join in live on our Sunday sessions, be part of the WhatsApp group, or would just like to know more about the Bible Marathon project. Visit our website, bit.ly slash bmg live 4 for more details. That's bit.ly slash bmg live 4 for more details. We pray you stay blessed, experiencing progress and joy in your faith.